Luke chapter 15. When you're a kid, you, uh, you kind of pick up some folks that are going to be heroes for you. And when I was a little boy growing up in Montana in the mountains, little town, White Sulphur Springs, the folks that did it for me were the, the small group of men that were part of the search and rescue team from our little town. Uh, these folks, I, not only every time they had our little Labor Day parade, man, I was like cheering for them. They were all mounted on their snowmobiles and maybe had some horses and stuff. The search and rescue team uh, played a vital role in our community because inevitably people would get lost in the mountains. They were unprepared. They weren't familiar with the lay of the land. They didn't have maps. Uh, they would get dehydrated. They simply weren't in shape enough to be climbing around up there, and they'd get lost. And when that happened... The search and rescue team was called into action. In the summer, they would use four-wheelers and they'd use horses. In the winter, it'd be snowshoes, snowmobiles, and if need be, they had these powerful snowcats. And when someone would get lost, and oftentimes this would happen in the fall and the winter when people would be snowmobiling or skiing, cross-country skiing, or out there hunting, they weren't familiar, the call would go out that someone was lost. And within an hour, the search and rescue team would be mobilized and they'd be sent to the area that was last known where these people were, this individual was. But not only that, that the whole town kind of kicked into action. People from the Forest Service, Department of Agriculture, ranchers, uh, police, uh, the little volunteer fire department, they'd all be mobilized and they'd go out and they would search for someone because really time was of the essence. And generally, within three to four hours... A search of about 50 or 60 individuals could find this lost person and these lost individuals. On some occasions, it took a whole day, 8 to 10 hours. It was called a full search to find an individual. And then, unfortunately, there were times where the individual or the people that were lost were not found in time. They would simply freeze to death. They would die of hypothermia. And I remember one time there was a, a young man known in our community, and he was lost, and everyone was looking for him, and they never found him until that spring when they found him frozen to a tree. See, when someone is lost, time is of the essence. Search and rescue must be taking place. And when you come to Luke chapter 15, you find Jesus on a search and rescue mission A lot of people wonder, why in the world did Jesus Christ come to this earth? A lot of folks on this day, maybe you're one of them, you've come and you'd like to know what in the world really is the purpose of Easter. Is it about overfeeding yourself and eating some candy and hiding little Easter eggs? Or is there something more? If you want to know the real meaning of Easter, you're going to find its essence in Luke chapter 15. Because when we come to Luke 15, we see Jesus on a search and rescue mission. And he is with the people that he is seeking to find to bring them to safety, to rescue. Because this is, after all, why he came. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when we come to Luke chapter 15, we discover that there is great joy that God the Father has in recovering and bringing salvation to those who are lost. And that's what he's doing. Now, when Jesus came, he was, you would think that the religious people the Jewish people, especially, who were, Jewish people who were expecting a Messiah would be gathering around him and, and, and wanting to know him and to put their faith in him. On the other hand, there were some people, those people actually had a tendency to reject Jesus. 
And the people that you think that would reject Jesus, why, those are the ones that seem to come around him. In fact, that's what you find in Luke 15, verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, uh, there was this group of people that are called tax collectors and sinners. Now, you need to know how to say these words. You've got to have a bite to it. Tax collectors and sinners, okay? I mean, I know April 15th is here. You're coming around the corner here. And if you think that uh, they're talking about IRS agents here, well, if you're an IRS agent, uh, you're off the hook here. Tax collectors in Israel were Jewish men who had basically turncoat. They had actually aligned themselves with the Romans who were dominating them, and they in return worked for the Romans, and they, they actually got these exorbitant taxes out of their fellow countrymen. And Rome said, it, not only can you take all these taxes, but if you want to put some extra assessments on to kind of pad your own accounts, that is fine with us, and that is what they did. They were despised. They were the Benedict Arnolds of their time, and they were hated. They were tax collectors. They were conceived seen as the worst of Israel. And then they had a broad category for anyone who couldn't keep the law, were considered immoral, who couldn't meet the social and religious qualifications that the Jewish leaders had. They simply called them sinners. Some of them were great sinners, prostitutes involved in morality. Some of them had low ethics. Some of them were just normal, everyday people that just got thrown into this category of sinners. These people were hanging out with Jesus. You see that in verse 1? They were coming near to him to listen to him. And then there was this other group. There's this great polarization. There are these Pharisees. The Pharisees were like looked upon as the separatists of the day. They were the ones that studied the law well. They wore actual special garments that identified themselves as the Pharisees. They were ultra-religious. They were the very conservative element of Judaism. And the other group, the scribes, these were the lawyers of the day. They studied and copied the scriptures. They knew them inside and out. It is the Pharisees and the scribes that had a great disdain for Jesus. In fact, they said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them, identifying that he actually cared for them. He he shared life with them. Well, Jesus is on his search and rescue mission. And so what he's going to do is he's going to tell them, some parables, and he says that in verse 3. So he told them this parable. In fact, he's going to tell them three parables. Now, a parable is simply this. A parable is taking something that is commonly known and laying it aside a spiritual truth that is not as commonly known. And so he's going to tell them some parables. And he begins with the first one about lost sheep. You see, they did, Pharisees and scribes, they didn't understand why Jesus came and why he was hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. What in the world was he trying to do anyway? So Jesus says, let me tell you some stories. Verse 4, let me tell you about the parable of the lost sheep. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go out after the one which is lost until he finds it? Right? If you've got a lost sheep, you go find it, right? In verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, a shepherd was in charge of all of their sheep. And if if one of them was missing, 
he would pen up the others and he'd go find it. And he finds it. He puts it over his shoulders. He brings it back. He says, rejoice with me because I found the one is lost. And Jesus says, this is the point of the story. There is more joy in heaven. God's eternal joy is magnified when a lost person is found, brought back, taken into the fold, back to the place of security, back home. It says there's more joy in that one sheep that is found than over 99 righteous, or we could say self-righteous persons who have no need of repentance. And repentance, by the way, is what? It's a total change of direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Now, you know, he, Jesus is looking, Pharisees and scribes, they understood the story. They didn't get the whole part about joy and heaven for lost people because that didn't work for them. Well, Jesus then tells them another story, helping them understand his whole purpose on coming to this earth. Verse 8, he tells them the story about the lost coin. Now, or what woman? If she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And then listen to what Jesus says. He says, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So he tells them this story about a woman who loses one coin. Now this one, this this. Ten coins that she has, this might be her life savings. This may be all that she has to live on, or it very possibly is a dowry that was given by her father to her. And now, we married women wear rings. Jewish women wore a, like a band and it had ten coins. Those are coins that were given to her by her father, and she would wear those in her hair, like over her forehead, and it was a symbol that she was married. To lose one of those coins, whether it was all that she had to live on or it was something that was given to her that was precious from her father, she would start searching. Now, now the homes in Judaism and Israel, uh, they were simple. Oftentimes they didn't have a window. They were just one, uh, one room kind of little place. She'd get a broom and she'd start sweeping through the crevices in the rocks. She'd be listening and looking. She'd have this little oil lamp that didn't give a whole lot of light, but it's all that she had. And she'd be sweeping and searching until she found that one coin. Once she did, she calls all her lady friends over and says, look, I found it. And she probably spends all ten of her coins on a big party. I don't know. We don't know how she finances the party. We just know that she has this big celebration. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to get the point of the story. It is what? In the same way, I tell you, there is great joy in the presence of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, there is great joy in God's presence when something that is lost is found. Now, that was the story of sheep and coins. But Jesus is going to bring it all home. And he's going to tell the story that perhaps is the most familiar story that Jesus ever gave. It's the story of lost sons. Two of them, to be exact. And Jesus, what he's doing, is giving a clear picture of what it looks like to be lost and to be found. What it looks like to be rescued by God. Now, for all of you who are parents... You know how much you love your children. And that was certainly the case of this father. In fact, he says in verse 11, he said, and a man had two sons. And there is something that is surprising about these sons. As much as the father loved these sons, it seems as if there's been what we could call relational breakdown. For look at verse 12. Jesus is going to start identifying the characteristics of what does it really look like to be lost. 
And we'll just kind of highlight them. But verse 12, he says, And the younger of them, of these two sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the state that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Let me just highlight the first feature of someone who's lost. These are the red flags that perhaps maybe you are in a lost condition. And the first one is that you are self-centered. You see what he says? He says, give me. Give me is almost the motto of someone who is lost. It's all about them. They are self-centered. They will manipulate whatever person. They will violate whatever standard to get what they want. And so he just says, give me. They think little of anybody else. It's just all about them. It's like it's built into our DNA to be selfish. Do you have to teach your children when they're young to be selfish? Like, no. It just is natural. It just it's who we are. And when you're lost, you just allow your self-centeredness to just pretty much dominate your life. And so that is for this this young son of his. He says, Father, give me. I want it now. And not only is he self-centered, but he's sinning against the father. Look what he says. He says, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, what is taking place here is, I mean, these people, everybody would be like, gasping. Let me put it like in our modern day uh, situation. It'd be the equivalent of your son or your daughter coming up to you and saying, listen, I wish you were dead. But since you're not, I want what is coming to me, and I want it now. I want you to liquidate it. I want you to give it to me. I want what's coming to me, and I want it now. The son could have done nothing more dishonoring. This is an entirely deep rejection of the father. All that he has provided, all that he is, all the relationship they have, this son breaks it off and says, I wish you were dead. I want it, what is coming to me, and I want it now. This is a serious act of rebellion. And... So the father graciously actually does this. Now, what's taking place here? um, Now, the oldest son would actually get two-thirds of everything that the father had. And now, in terms of when you're looking like at assets, we kind of think of assets in terms of money market accounts and IRAs and stocks and bonds and cash. Uh, Really, folks' inheritance uh, really was kind of coming in two ways, land and flocks. And you would never sell family land. And so this father must have allowed the son to sell a part of the land that he had had, had been in the family forever, and to sell flocks. And perhaps because he wanted to liquidate it so fast, perhaps he didn't even get fair market value for it. He just wanted his money and he wanted it now. And so he find that he's, he's sinning against the father because that's the second characteristic of a lost person. They are sinning. They are missing the mark. They are violating the father. And so graciously, the father allows this to happen. So he divided, he says in verse 12, his wealth. That word wealth is bios. It could be translated as life, his livelihood. He divided it between them. Let me give you another characteristic of someone who is lost. They are separated from the father. Look at verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together And went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Not only does he deeply offend the father and says, I don't want you, I don't want anything of you other than your material blessings, he actually separates. This Jewish boy leaves Israel. He leaves his father's home. He leaves 
everything that is familiar. He goes to a far distant, a Gentile country where God is not known, not worshipped, and he separates himself from the Father. And really, that is our condition when we're lost. We are separated from God. We say to God, I don't want you. I don't want what you have to offer me. I don't want life your way. I want to separate from you. Isaiah points out this human condition in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your distortion of what is true, of what is right, it has made this separation. The wages of sin is death. When we live life on our own, when we reject the Father, when we're sinning against Him, when we say, I want to separate, friends, you have an eternal, deep, vast separation between the Heavenly Father and yourself. Isaiah also pointed out, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's the human condition, to do life on your own. What do you want is the most important question. To live life, life as if God doesn't exist. That is modern day media. That is the society in which we live. To live life as if God doesn't exist. And so this young boy, this young man, he separates himself from his father and he leaves and goes to a Gentile country. And let me point out a fourth characteristic. Did you see that in verse 13? He squanders, he's squandering his resources. Notice what he did. He went on that journey to a distant country, verse 13, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. To squander literally means to cast everywhere. His time, his, his, all his treasure that he has, perhaps even the talents that he has, he just wastes them and he squanders it with, notice what it says, loose living. That's where we get prodigal. Many of you remember this as the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal means to live loosely. It's to live wild, reckless, um, have no regard for other people. It speaks of promiscuity, of living life in violation of what is right, licentiousness. And that's what this boy does. He just squanders everything he has. He has this big bag of money that he shows up with, and he is living it up. And, but really what you see is a lost person investing in lost causes. And frankly, guys, guess what? All of us have 24 hours each day. We have seven days a week. We're all investing it into something, or we're wasting it. In the case of this boy, that's what he's doing. And let me tell you something about sin. Sin always has a very high price, and you're going to pay that price. Uh, It's an expensive business. Lost time, lost memories, lost relationships, lost credibility, lost respectability, and sometimes those things never return. And see, this young man, he's trying to really live it up, but you know what? He really is. He's losing out. And let me point out a fifth feature of what it looks like to be lost and you can find it in verse 14. It is to be senseless, short-term in your thinking. You see, this guy never thought that the party would ever end. He was living it up. But verse 15, conditions change rather dramatically. Verse 15, or verse 14. So now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. You see, he's, his bag of money kept getting smaller and smaller. And his dreams and his fantasies that he was living out, why they all of a sudden became nightmares. You see, he thought for a few moments he was experiencing self-indulgence. What he didn't realize 
is that he was now entering into a lifestyle of utter self-deprivation. And that's our world. Our world never tells us to think to the long term. It is always very short term in your thinking. Have it here. Have it now. What do you want? And get it right away. It is, it's what we see modeled for us on TV. It's what's put before us in the media. It's the Hollywood lifestyle. You can lie and get money. It's, it's never thinking about the long term. It's always just the here and now. And that's exactly how this boy functions. Because you know why? He's lost. Lost people are dealing with the short term. They're never thinking there may be eternal consequences for what they do. I remember when I was working in the insurance world, coming out of college, we had a, a client come in, and uh, obviously this guy had had something traumatic happen to him. He, was, he, had, he sat in a wheelchair that he kind of controlled with his hand, but even that was really rough. I, I helped this gentleman, dealt with all his insurance issues, helped him get back into his vehicle, I walked back in the office. I asked one of my coworkers. I just said, hey, what happened? And I remember what Chris said. She just said this, drinking and driving. And then she told me the story of how that guy had been involved in drinking alcohol, hitting the road, and wrecking and barely surviving. And he was just ghastly white, sick, barely able to move. His friends, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. Did not Jesus, did not Paul write that in Galatians 6? He says, you know, do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, this also he shall reap. Whatever seeds that you plant, you think you're living it up. Now's my time to party and make the most of life. I can repent and go to church and be religious or something later on, but now I'm going to live it up. Friends, let me tell you, whatever seeds you're sowing, They're going to come to fruition. Right now, you may not see it. And maybe actually you do. But that's a characteristic of someone who is lost. They're short term and they're thinking. They are not thinking about anything more than the here and the now. And let me just, uh, let me give you one other characteristic of someone who's lost. You can find it in verse 14 there. Not only is there a severe famine, but he became impoverished. He became severely needy. That is the characteristic of lost people. And not only is he out of friends, out of funds and out of friends, but look at this, verse 15. So, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. There was just nothing for him. He was severely needy. Now, think about this. A Jewish boy in a Gentile country, feeding pigs. The Jews considered the pigs, uh, they were like the the most unclean of animals. They would not even so much as touch them. They were totally fleeted. Obviously, they didn't eat them, but they didn't even want to touch them. Think of the desperate, despicable situation this young man is in. He has to go and hire himself out to a Gentile landlord to go and to feed pigs. But not only is he feeding pigs and he has to live with them, but... He's in a situation here where he is so completely desperate. He, he would like to eat the food that the pigs are eating, but he simply can't. These are, this, these are the food that he's feeding them are these carob pods. They're like these little horn shaped. They come from a carob tree. And the only reason that he doesn't eat the pig food is because it is humanly indigestible. You see, 
This boy showed up in the country and he was living it up and he was the life of the party and he was spending money everywhere, right? He had all sorts of friends. And like one guy said, when he became so hungry, he had to start selling his clothing. And so he he took off his coat and he sold that and he took off his shoes and he, he sold those and then he, he took off his shirt and he sold that and and then he came to himself. He had to sell himself. And that's exactly what he did. You see, for the wages of sin is death. And some of us have been there at the rock bottom because that's where God needs to bring us to break us from our self-sufficiency, to show us that life apart from God doesn't work. And that's exactly what happens for this guy. He comes to a point where he realizes he is broken. And what is taking place is Jesus is telling the story the life story of the tax collectors and the sinners. They knew all too well what it looks like to be totally rejected and to be at the very bottom, to be broken. But it'd be a tragic story if it ended there. But I want you to see what, the cha- what a changing of a heart really looks like. Look at verse 17. What does it look like when your heart is changed? Verse 17, You first of all, you come to your senses. But when he came to his senses. You see, his incessant sinning had left him utterly bankrupt. And he came to a point where you would think like, oh, that's a terrible situation that he's in such a difficult spot. But actually, that is a great place for this guy to be because it is a place of brokenness where he can actually come to his senses. You know, it's kind of like us. We, maybe we come and it is at the end of the road. Life is totally broken. Or maybe we're, we put our head on our pillow when we've turned off our MP3 player and we're not texting on our phone and we're not doing the Facebook deal and we turn our little laptops off and our TV and our stereo and we just lay there and we wonder, how in the world did I end up like this? You see, this young man, he comes to his senses. And notice what happens. He says, he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. And notice what else in verse 18. Not only is he thinking clearly for the first time, maybe in a long time, but he's actually convicted of his sin. He says, I will get up, verse 18, and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, which is a euphemism for God. The Jews didn't like to say God's name, so they would say heaven. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. You know, when your life is being changed, You take responsibility for your sin. I know we live in a victim society and we think all the we function and all the bad things are done to us. And certainly there are some bad things that are done to us. But when your life is being changed by God, when you're being rescued, you take personal responsibility for your sin. You recognize that is indeed what you are. You don't call it anything else. You don't cut any deals. You don't rationalize it. You recognize You're a sinner. And that's what he says. I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. And notice what he's doing. He's going to go back to the Father. What is it when you change directions and change your mind and have a change of heart? It's repentance. Remember what Jesus talked about in those first couple parables? That's what's happening. Happening. He is going to go back to his Father and he is going to confess his need. He is going to say this in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your Hired men. You see, this guy had high hopes of not becoming a son, 
but becoming a slave for his father. Well, how is the father going to respond? You want to see the heart of God on display? You want to see the compassion of our heavenly father? It's pictured in this earthly father. Look at this. Look at when we get to verse 20. So he got up, this man, and he came to his father. Now, I want to stop right there. What all, especially everyone is expecting, especially the, ta- the Pharisees and scribes, they are expecting that this father is going to refuse to see this son. You see, they lived in a society where honor was everything. And what the son did was the most dishonorable thing. Even if the father was eventually going to talk to the boy, he would, the boy would have to go through a season of public ridicule. That could include people slapping him and spitting on him as he sat at the, at the gate of the city. You see, they're expecting rejection. But I want you to see this father. You want to see what the compassion of the father is? Well, first of all, look at this. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. He, you see, this father was looking for his son. I wouldn't be surprised if this father didn't every single day walk on his estate and look far out into the distant country where he once saw his boy walk just to see Is he coming back as he prayed that the Lord would bring him back? He's looking for him. And then he sees him. You you would expect him to do this where he would like, ah, so the wretch is coming back. Wait till his mother gets a hold of him, right? Yeah. I mean, he's coming back. He has dishonored me. He broke every Jewish custom and more. He has made our family's name a disgrace. None of that. Look what he does. He feels compassion for him. The father has what we'd call heart. And not only is he looking for him, but he loves him. He feels compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, there's something you need to know about Jewish men. They didn't run. It was indignant. Jewish men, especially elderly Jewish men, they never ran. But when your heart is filled with compassion and you see your lost child coming home, You're going to pick up that hem of your garment and you're going to start trucking and you're going to make your way to that boy. And this father breaks out into a sprint as he sees his son in the distance. And when he comes, there's no time for words. What does that father do? He embraces him and kisses him. I mean, think of what this guy must smell like. He had just left the pig farm in a Gentile country. He most likely hadn't cleaned up before he came home. He'd been sweating on this long journey. He was dirty dusty the clothes that he had would have been like rags and this father embraces him and starts kissing him why because he loves him that is the heart of the father and then you remember the boy had the speech planned out remember and he tries verse 21 and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son you know that is true repentance you see when we When we come to the cross, when you really come to God through Jesus Christ, you don't cut deals with God. Like, well, I know you really want me on your team and in your family. I got a lot to offer you and make my family happy. Uh Uh-uh. You come as a broken sinner and you cast yourself upon the mercy of God. And I want you to know that the Father is compassionate, just like this Father. It is a marvelous act of grace. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice how the father responds. 
he, he not only loves him, but he's going to start lavishing him with gifts of celebration. But the father said to the slaves, who had also by this time caught up, and they are watching this scene. He says, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He is lavishing him with gifts of celebration. You see, when he ran out and kissed him, that you would only do that like with family or someone that you were welcoming with full acceptance. But now he tells the slaves, I want to, I want to honor my son. So he, every single thing that he names has a specific meaning. This robe, this robe would have been worn like for, by the father, perhaps like at the wedding feast of his own son or some significant banquet. And it, what it symbolizes is honor. He says, I want you to get the robe and put it on him. And then he says, and get that ring, not just any old ring. It would be the signet ring that had the family's emblem on it that they would push against wax to mark official documents. It represented that this son now had authority. And then he said, I want you to go and put sandals on his feet, put shoes on him. And that's very significant because this was a sign of sonship. You see, slaves almost always didn't wear shoes. But if you were a son, you'd wear shoes. We have in our history an old spiritual, and the words go, this, go like this. When we get to heaven, all God's children going to wear shoes. Because, see, when you're a son, you wear shoes. And so he says, I want you to get the robe, the ring, the sandals, and put it on. And furthermore, he says, verse 23, and bring the fattened calf, the one that would be saved for probably the most important of ceremonies, whether for a dignitary or like a wedding for a son. And he says, kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. And he was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. You know, that's, this is the heart of the Father. You see, when you and I recognize that we are sinners and we repent, we turn direction and we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, do you know that God's heart is filled with joy and he lavishes us with great gifts of love. It says that he actually forgives all of your sins because Christ paid for them on the cross. He actually fills you, your life with the presence of his Holy Spirit. It says in the book of Ephesians that Christ actually dwells in your hearts by faith. He actually blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Your life, perhaps it was filled with debauchery and immorality and who knows what. And we don't have to go public on it. God now fills your life with his spirit. You start bearing the characteristics of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You have the secure, eternal promise that you will be, him, be with him forever. It is great joy, unending bliss, wonderful worship. And he says, we have to celebrate because he who was once dead is now alive. He who was once lost has now been found. But um, remember that the father had two sons, right? Well, one son we've already seen was reckless. He was uh, rebellious. But the father had a second son. And this second son was what you would call self-righteous. You could also put it as another category of characteristics of sinners they are self-righteous they are right in their own eyes this this older son appears in verse 25 where the first son represented the tax collectors and the sinners the second son really represented the pharisees and the scribes 
Verse 25, now this older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. What? And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring, what in the world is going on? What were these things could be? What's happening? And verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. You would think like, whoa, the oldest brother, he'd be like, this is great. My brother is back. Our family's united. Our honor's been restored. Dad loves him. But you know what? This older son is just as lost as the younger son. His sin looks a little different, but it is just as deadly. Notice this. Verse 28. He became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, hey, look it. For so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never have given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, this guy exposes his true colors. So his sin wasn't what we would call, oh, that's Terrible. But you know what happened? He had jealousy, bitterness, envy, pride, arrogance. These were the seeds that took root in his heart and his life, and they come flowing out of his mouth. This man was just as lost and just as hardened. When the father, he, by refusing to go in, was a, was a sign of disrespect and dishonor to the father. And he noticed the tone in which he addresses his father. It's totally disrespectful. You see, this older son... He was like so many people who are just slugging it out and just just doing, following the commands, but there's no heart. You see, this boy didn't understand the love of his father, and hence he didn't know the joy of being a son. He was just living out the commandments. This, this, this This old brother, the older brother, he was just slaving it out. Let me just tell you something about how you look at people. If you, uh, you know, how you treat people is very much how you see people. If you, uh, if you see people as losers, you know what that does. It breeds contempt. But if you see people as lost, it fosters compassion. And this older boy, this oldest son, he was filled with all the very same kind of sins that brought death to the younger boy. So he had himself. And the father says, Father, look at verse 31. He said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. You see, the father, just like he came out to the younger son, he goes out to the older one. He says, Listen, all that I have is yours. Just come. But we had to celebrate. Because why? There is great joy when a lost person is rescued, recovered, and found. You know, the story just ends abruptly right there. There is no, we don't have anything recorded on how does the older son respond. And that is, there's a reason for that. Because Jesus was, after all, addressing the Pharisees and the scribes, verse 2, who were like, what in the world are you doing talking and hanging out and eating with these sinners? You see, he told this story to give these people 
an opportunity to respond to grace. To come. How would they respond? And the question is, really put to us on this Easter, how will you respond? Whether your sin is of the stripe or the younger son, you're rebellious, rebellious and all kind of righteous behavior going on in your life, or you are like the older son. You are self-righteous. Either way, you are a lost son. How will you respond to the love of the Father? For after all, that is why Jesus came. Several times I've heard the story of a, a young boy who has his livelihood, you could just say, was, was troubled. He was always in trouble, always calling, causing problems. And when he got older, he just totally broke away from his parents and he went out and tried life on his own. And, of course, things went from bad to worse. This man spent most of his time in prison in California. He was a long ways from home, from Oklahoma, but... Uh, his lifestyle and the choices that he made and the consequences he reaped put him in prison for most of his life. When he was about to ready to be released, even though he couldn't read or write, he had a letter written by a fellow prisoner, written to his parents, and he wasn't even sure if they were even alive. And in this letter, he said this, I'm, I am going to be soon released from prison. I am broken. I'd like to come home. I could understand if you don't want me. And so what is going to happen is I'm going to buy a ticket that will get on that train that goes by our family farm. Um, you know the big tree that stands by that, the tracks as they kind of go by the, the farm. I, I just want to know that if, if I can come home, would you just take one ribbon and would you just wrap it around the tree and, and I'll look out the window as the train goes by. And if I, if I see the ribbon on the tree, I, I, I know I can come home. But um, but if it's not possible, if you, if you don't want me, uh, don't put the ribbon. I'll understand. I'll keep moving. I'll stay on the train. Well, the day came where he was released from prison. And sure enough, he got his ticket and he got on that train and he started making, making a long trek from California to Oklahoma. And as he got near to where the family farm was, he... Um, he was agitated and, and nervous, sweating. I mean, he, all sorts of emotions are running through his body. He, he told the passenger next to him what was actually taking place, about the letter he wrote, prison, the whole, if they could, he could come back home, put the ribbon on the tree. But as they got closer and he started recognizing the countryside and seeing the landscape that looked all so familiar, he's, he, he couldn't handle it. He took his head and he put it between his knees and just had his hands by his face, and they were coming closer, and he's, he's saying to the passenger, I, I, I know we've got to be close. Would you, I cannot look. I cannot look out that window. Would you, would you look for me? Look off to the side, right over here, off to the side. If you see a ribbon on the tree, will you, will you just tell me? The train's rolling, and the passenger's looking, and, and the, finally the former prisoner says, is there a ribbon on the tree? The pastor said, no. Not one. The whole tree is covered with ribbons. And friends, that is the message of Easter. You and I, we're hopeless, helpless sinners. We might be dressed up sinners, but we are 
helpless and need of grace. And the message of the cross is that it's filled with ribbons saying you can come home because that is why Jesus came. He came on a search and rescue mission to save sinners. And that is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. If you would like to come home, if you're done with your living life on your own, if you are broken over your sin, you're willing to repent. That is why Christ came. And you too can put your trust in him. Be eternally forgiven. And experience the great blessings and the joy of being a child of God. So would you pray with me? Lord, we come this Easter before you and you know all about our hearts. You know all about our lives. You know that all of us are sinners. Many of us in this room have been broken and we have repented. We have turned to you and we have clung to the Lord Jesus for he alone is our life and the only way that you and I, that we can experience relationship with you. But Lord, there's very likely some folks that have come here this morning and they have never put their trust in you. They have been doing life on their own. I pray, Father, right now that in the quietness of this moment, while they have come to their senses, that you would draw them to yourself and they pray with me and say, Lord, you know all about me. You know about my sin. You know about my lifestyle, my decisions, my heart, my attitudes. Father, right now, I confess I'm a sinner. I repent. I change heart and directions. And I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who went to that cross and paid the full penalty of my sin and rose again that I might have spiritual life. I believe. I am yours, Lord. Save me. And so, Father, may we walk in the joy of the resurrection May we recognize that we have been redeemed and that our lives, because you have rescued us, bring you eternal great joy. May we live in that joy this Easter and for the days to come for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us to continue to worship the living God? His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out all for love. The whole earth trembled and the veil was torn. Love so amazing, love so Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from hell. Messiah, Lord of
Lord 